peace to you. Welcome to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of 2 Samuel. We made it to chapter 14. Just a few more chapters to go before we're done with this book, God willing. If you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. So Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. So Joab is the commander of his army. That'd be King David. That's the king they're talking about here. Same David and Goliath, David. And his uh, Absalom is one of his sons that's sort of on the run. He's on the run because he's uh, done a revenge killing of one of his brothers, or if you prefer half-brothers, um, most likely, um, that raped his sister. So you can understand what kind of brood of vipers David has on his hands. One son raped one of his daughters, and another son killed that son for doing that, and now is on the run. Uh, verse 2, and Joab sent to, to Koa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who's been mourning a long time for the dead. So more craftiness at work. We saw where one of the relatives, a cousin of um, the brothers who, um, you know, came to blows, uh, helped put his two cents in and arranged the rape to happen in the first place. And then after the murder, the revenge killing happened, uh, he's been sort of silent. He, um, and now you see more uh, shenanigans in the family where Joab is now plotting and planning to bring some sort of deceit about. But I think in this case, he has good intentions, if I guess, if that makes it okay. So he's hiring a woman to be an actress and pretend to be in mourning for a loss. Verse 3, go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. So he's hired an actress to pretend to be mourning for something, and he's told her what to say. And this is all to put on an act for David, the king. Verse 4, and when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. So now she's gone with her script to King David with the words that Joab has told her to say. And she's putting on the act, asking for help, begging for it, actually. Verse 5, then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I'm a widow. My husband is dead. So I don't mind saying that because I don't have a husband. I'm not a widow. As far as I know, at least in this timeline of things, so I don't mind saying that. If you happen to be someone with a husband and don't want to be widowed, I'd suggest if you read that, read it to yourself. Don't read it out loud because you may be manifesting that for yourself. Just a thought. And that's based on what Jesus tells us. Like if you've read with me before, you know what I'm referring to um, in Matthew 12, 37, among other places in the Gospels about the power of our words and the things we say. Um, but like I said, I, as far as I know, I don't have a husband or widow, so I don't mind reading that out loud. But the woman is reading that script out loud that Joab told her to say. And the king is wondering what's bothering her. Verse 6, now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field. And there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. So now she's um, telling a lie. She's telling the story that Joab told her to say to King David. Um, presumably all of this is so that Joab can reunite David's family since it's been kind of busted up by the rape and the murder. 
that followed it. Um, but what she's saying is she's got two sons. They fought with each other. One of them died or one of them killed the other one. Verse seven. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant. And they said, deliver him who struck his brother that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed. And we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on it on the earth. So that part I did sort of, I read it as it's written, just didn't say everything there. She's saying by killing her son, the one who's guilty of the murder, according to the story she's been told to say, um, they would wipe out his legacy. They'd kill his son, they'd kill his heir, they'd kill her husband's legacy also, since he only had the two sons. And if one's already been killed, if they kill the other one, then there goes her hope of her family legacy continuing, is what she's saying. Um, in asking for mercy from the king, amnesty or pardon for her son's taking the life of her other son. Verse 8, then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. So now the king has um, issued an edict or he's letting her know he will issue a, a command in her favor for her situation and telling her to return to her house. Verse 9, and the woman of Tekoa said to the king, my lord, O king, let the iniquity be on and the king and his throne be guiltless. So she's saying let the iniquity be on herself and on her house and on her father's house, that is, and that King David would be guiltless of um, any of the events surrounding the murder and the revenge killings, the death penalty, the execution of her other son. So she's saying basically she'll accept all the blame for the situation. Verse 10, so the king said, whoever says anything to you, bring him to me and he shall not touch you anymore. So now um, the king is ordering protection for the woman who's afraid of what may happen or she's pretending to be afraid of what may happen if she doesn't surrender her son for the um, to face the penalty for killing his brother. Um, and the king is letting her know, don't worry, I'll protect you. Um, Verse 11, then she said, please let the king remember the Lord your God and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy anymore, lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. So she's asking again for a pardon for her son. though he hasn't been tried yet, but it's a different system back then. Uh, it's different than what's uh, lots of places, but at this point, uh, there hasn't been a trial, but she knows they're looking for her son. The avenger of blood is the equivalent of the death penalty in modern times. So she's um, saying to avoid the death penalty for her son, she wants the king to intervene on her behalf. And the king is saying, don't worry, her son is safe. Not a hair of his head will be lost. He's going to protect him, basically granting him amnesty or pardon for um his crime uh, verse and Lord here is being translated just as a footnote from the word or name Jehovah um, and we've gone over again and again how that's not consistent throughout the Bible particularly the Old Testament um, lately it seems pretty consistent though um, uh, just again as a footnote verse 12 therefore the woman said please let your maidservant speak another word to my Lord the king and he says say on so now that she's gotten the king to um, 
give the order that Joy wants her to give or wants her to receive, wants her to get for him. Because it's really not for him, it's for Absalom. She's um she's saying she has one more thing to add to what um she's already said. And just as another footnote, Lord here that's not in all caps, just all um lowercase is from the word Adon, just like Adonai um is the translation for the word Lord in other places in the Bible. Um but in English, both all of them are just Lord. Um so, but anyway, she's been given permission to go ahead and say what it is she has to say. Verse 13, so the woman said, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty, in that the king does not bring his banished one home again. So now she's turned the tables on David to let him know, sort of like the same way Nathan um, turned the tables on him when he was um, convicted by his conscience for uh, killing Uriah to get to his wife. Um, so similarly, the woman who was acting got him to make the announcement, to declare the decree uh, that amnesty should be given to the one who killed his brother. And now she's let him know, well, why are you doing that? And why would you do that, but not do it for your own child, your own household, your own son? Because remember, it's his sons, one of his sons that killed one of his other sons. Um, and is on the run, Absalom, that is. Verse 14, for we will surely, uh, so she's saying, will surely, so let's begin again, verse 14, will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his van banished ones are not expelled from him. So she's saying, that once someone dies, that's it. You can't bring them back again. Although we we know that there are biblical examples, at least in the Gospels, and maybe even there are a couple in the Old Testament where people were died and resurrected. Um, but what she's saying is, generally speaking, obviously, um, once someone dies, that's it. But um, God makes a way where um, people don't automatically die for their sins, even if they're worthy of death, but instead have a chance to be redeemed, have a chance for repentance. Um, even though that's sort of against what we've read as the law of the religion of the Old Testament, where it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. Um, but what she's saying is that, no, um, there's a room for mercy. And uh, one other thing here, um, what's it? I think the translation of the word God here is a capital G, God, but it's being translated from Elohim now. Um, just so you understand again how the translation to English, um, many different words translate to the same word in English, um, but it's not consistent in the language they were originally spoken in. Um, and just in case you, this is your first time reading with me, I'm using the blueletterbible.org website when I do these Naked Truth readings with you, in case you want to read along also and see where these, what the translations of these different words mean that I'm referring to. Verse 15, now therefore, I've come to speak of this thing to my Lord, the King, because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will not speak to the King. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant. So she's saying what brought her there is that the people have terrified her 
about the situation she's dealing with with her sons. Uh, so that's what's taking her to the king to seek help. And again, all of that is a, a made up thing. She's just saying the words that Joab told her to say. Verse 16, for the king will hear and deliver his maid servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. So she's saying she knows that the king has power to rescue her from um, the avenger of blood, as they're called, the, the death penalty, from the consequences that she and her son would face um, for the killing of her other son, who actually wasn't killed. It's Again, it's just a story that she's been told to tell the king. Verse 17, your maidservant said, the word of my lord, the king will now be comforted, whereas the angel of God, so is my lord, the king, in discerning good and evil. And may the Lord your God be with you. So now she's pouring on the flattery. So um, all again, all of this is stuff Joab has told her to say. Uh, so she and so clearly Joab knows how people operate, and he knows how David is when it comes to the flattery. So she's laying it on thick and um, letting him know how um, righteous and blessed he is in the decisions he makes, and that God's given him wisdom to help discern between right and wrong and so forth. So um, she probably laid it on so thick it gave her away. But let's see. Verse um, 18. Sorry, my page froze. Verse 18, and the king answered and said to the woman, please do not hide from me anything that I ask you. And the woman said, please let my lord the king speak. So now David is starting to flip the script on her and asking her to be honest with him. And he's um, got a question for her. And she's agreed. She's telling him, go ahead, ask what you want. Verse 19, so the king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? And the woman answered and said, as you live, my lord, the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord, the king, has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me. And he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant. So now, more flattery. She's letting King David know, wow, you're so wise. You figured it out. You got me. And that, that Joab is the one who actually um, got hired her to say all these things and go to the king with this story. Verse 20. To bring about this change of affairs, your servant Joab has done this thing. But my Lord is wise. According to the wisdom of the angel of God, to know everything that is in the earth. So now more flattery, she's pouring it on thick. Probably now at this point to also protect herself because now that she's been seen through, that David can see she's not sincere in her request, at least not honest about it, um, that it's all just an act. She's probably just making sure to protect herself from uh, in case the king gets wrathful and kills her for trying to fool him. She's letting him know, oh, you're so wise, you figured it out and God bless you. you the Lord's guiding you and all of that, pouring it on to let him uh, to sort of ease his um, his mind in the fact that she tried to fool him, even if she was sent by one of his uh, main men, his general. Verse 21, and the king said to Joab, all right, I've granted this thing. Go therefore, bring back the young man, Absalom. So he's um, now David is addressing Joab, maybe through her still, but um it says said to Joab, so it's as if Joab is standing there when all of this is happening. Um, either way, the message seems to be that the king is willing to let Absalom return from his exile 
that he took on his own. It's not like someone forced him to leave. He voluntarily fled after he killed his brother. Um, but now the king is saying it's okay, he can come back. Verse 22, then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, today your servant knows that I found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So now Joab is pouring it on thick, just like the woman did, and um, flattering David with how wise he is and figuring it out and um, and uh, letting him know that um, what he's doing now is um, sort of a big picture thing that's happening in the fact that he's forgiven Joab for fooling him, basically, and also um, turning the tide for Absalom that he can return. Again, he wasn't exiled by anyone. He left on his own. So it's not like anyone was hunting him down. Verse 23, so Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. So uh, I think we read where Joab is a relative. He's uh, uh, Zariah's son and Zariah's relative of David. I think his brother's sister. So uh, they're cousins, if I recall right. Um, so Joab does have that sort of interest in the family affairs. Um, whatever the case may be, he's gone to get Absalom to return back to the kingdom. Verse 24, and the king said, let him return to his own house. Do not let me see his face. Oh, excuse me. Do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. So now his exile was over. Absalom's, that is. He's been, he's been um, allowed to return to his own property, but he's being told to keep his distance from the king. Now, all of that seems very um, pretentious since the king, uh, according to what we read, is relieved at the fact that one of his sons, the one who raped his daughter, is dead. Um, and he actually loved Absalom, almost like a favorite of his. So it's not like he's that broken up to have Absalom return. Uh, verse 25, now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. So um, it's basically saying here that Absalom was gorgeous. I've known some men that are pretty gorgeous, just like that. Um, all types of different men, Asian, blonde, black, Latin. I've known lots of different beautiful men from head to toe beautiful men, so it's um, physically beautiful men, um, that it seems Absalom falls into that category, but it's saying here also, it's talking the same way in the same description that it gave of Saul when he was first introduced into the narrative as being so attractive, more attractive than anyone else, taller than anyone else, and all of that. It seems Absalom is uh, one of David's best looking sons, it seems, and apparently known for how gorgeous he is. Verse 26, and when he cut the hair off his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard. So now it's um, saying that Absalom's hair was so heavy that it weighed as much as 200 shekels. The only hair that I could think of that would be heavy like that would be locks or braids. And lots of different people can have locks and braids, but one certain uh, complexion of people generally have locks and braids. Other people's hair 
it may get heavy, but it's not going to be heavy as shekels, uh, 200 shekels worth. Um, um, yeah, just as a side note, uh, as to what the appearance of the people we're talking about probably is. Not that it makes a difference to me, just so you understand that how things can get whitewashed to make you believe everyone looks a certain way when that's probably not the case. Verse 27, to Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. So we know lots of time has passed because David's not a teenager anymore. He's got grown sons with kids of their own, even grown kids of their own. So if you're thinking generationally, uh, David was first introduced around age 710, I'm sorry, 17. Then um, last we heard, he had grown kids. So probably another 20 years at least had passed by then. So he's probably at the very least uh, mid 40s. And now even his sons have grown children. So at this point, David is probably uh, in his 60s. Um, and that's, you know, just randomly guessing. He's probably somewhere around that age group. Uh, because one of his grandkids, I'm sorry, one of his sons has a apparently fully grown daughter. Um, although what we consider fully grown in modern times and what's considered uh, biblically of age changes or has changed over time, but it's definitely changed even in the Bible uh, when what age was an age of consent for marriage. Um, and even in, even in modern times in the southern states in America, as gross and disgusting or odd as it may sound, some states still still allow child marriage. It sounds crazy and sick, especially since those same people thump their Bibles and throw stones at um, and call uh, people who are LGBT groomers, whether they're involved with it, it just for being involved in same-sex relationships, nothing to do with children. Yet they say nothing at all. Look the other way with people who actually are targeting children and even states that allow child marriage. I'm kidding. I think it's either Tennessee or Alabama at the very least that recently um, passed laws to make sure that people could still marry children. Children, underage kids, so they could still marry them legally um, because that's what used to happen and they don't want it to change. And like I said, it's just hypocritical how people who aren't involved with children at all as a whole community get demonized, the LGBT community that is, while the same people who do the finger pointing look the other way altogether when you see examples, clear examples of people who molest and take advantage of children, whether they're people in priestly outfits or some other pulpit or um, at politicians, because you don't need to look hard to uh, look very far to see Examples of politicians who have been caught up with child, they call them sex scandals, but they're not really sex because they're children. So it's child molestation scandals. And it goes un unaddressed by the uh, religious right in this country. Uh, just letting you know, just more hypocrisy. But back to where we're at. Um, uh, Absalom's got a daughter. Apparently she's a looker. Verse 28, Napsalm, and her name is Tamar. Wasn't it Tamar? Yeah. Verse 28, Napsalm dwelt two full, year, two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. So Absalom is returned to Jerusalem, and he's keeping the command to stay away from King David. Verse 29, therefore Absalom sent 
or Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again the second time, he would not come. So now Absalom is um, was in exile. Now he's returned, and he's gotten comfortable apparently because he's even flexing some of his princely privileges in summoning Joab as if he's just uh, one of his servants when he's the one who's been instrumental in even bringing him back in the first place. And presumably, like I said, I'm pretty sure he's a family member, so he's also an elder to him, but he's summoning him like he's one of his servants. But Joab isn't going for it. Joab has not responded to his summons or his repeated summons. Verse 30, so he said to his servants, see Joab's field is near mine and he has, bar he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. So uh, Absalom has committed um, arson, even commanding his servants to, to commit their arson against Joab, the one who was instrumental in bringing him back because Joab wouldn't respond to his request or demand to make an appearance to him. Verse 31. So talk about entitlement. Verse 31. Then Joab arose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? So Joab, um, um, understandably pissed, has shown up to Joab, one, uh, shown up to Absalom's place, wondering what's up with that. Why would you tell your servants to set? Why are your servants setting his field on fire? Verse 32, and Absalom answered Joab, Look, I sent to you, saying, Come here, so that I may send you to the king and say, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face. But if there's iniquity in me, let him execute him, he's saying. So um, Absalom didn't apologize for setting um, Joab's field on fire at all. Instead, he just proceeded to let him know what he got him there for. Talk about entitlement. He's not on the run anymore. He's retired to his own possession. And instead of even saying thank you, because if that was mentioned, it wasn't if that happened, it wasn't mentioned in this narrative, where he thanked Joab for um, allowing him to get back to his inheritance, to be brought back into the fold of the king, or at least in the king's kingdom, his domain, and near him. He didn't thank him for any of that at all. Instead, he set fire to his field, and when he's approached about it, he lets him know, look, I already summoned you before, and you wouldn't come. Nothing about an apology, so terribly entitled. It sounds like David had a real, truly brood of vipers that he uh, that he spawned. But So now he's uh, Absalom is telling Joab, look, now that you're here, go ahead and take the message that I sent for you to come in the first place to, to deliver go to the king and let him know that um, if he's not going to see him, then he might as well have just stayed back in the place where he was in exile at. And he's saying, and if it turns out that the king sees fit to execute him, to carry out the death penalty, which is why he fled in the first place, then let him go ahead and do it. So um, it seems um, Absalom is ready to face the music for his crimes, but actually just um, sort of fed up with the status quo. Verse 33, so Joab went to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. So now the two are reunited. David the king is reunited with his son Absalom, who his, he was kind of heartsick over being in exile after killing his other son, Amnon, who raped his daughter, was it, wasn't Dinah, Dinah's the 
previous rape victim, the um, one who was raped, um, wasn't her name Tamar? Um, we're at the end of the chapter, so just gonna check to see. Yeah, it was Tamar. So what Absalom did was name his daughter after his sister Tamar, who was the rape victim. Now he's had as a daughter of his own, and he's named his daughter Tamar after his sister. That's kind of sweet. Although a bit tragic, um, you know, the events that led up to it, but that's where it's at. So Absalom and King David are reunited after the murder of Amnon and the rape of his sister Tamar, who is in, uh, he's now named his daughter Tamar after. Um, that's the last verse in this chapter, so that's where we'll end the reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. Christmas is at hand. I hope it's a merry one for you. I love you. See you next time. Peace be with you.